0: This is Red State Blue Mom and your podcast host, Mama B, inviting you to explore local and national topics of interest as they pertain to life in Southern Appalachia. My oh my, where to begin this month's podcast. First of all, Mama B wants to say belated Happy New Year 2021 to all her listeners. Here we are, a new start in a new year, and thank heavens 2020 is in the rearview mirror. It's nice to be able to say hindsight is 2020. Life very seldom gives us mere humans the superpower of 2020 vision to see into the future and the consequences of the decisions made, both good and bad. But when thinking of 2020, I think it's safe for me to say that we were all glad to see it in the rearview mirror. It's in hindsight. Yay! The last time I recorded a podcast was a few days before the November election, which I'll get to in a bit. As last December approached and it was time to record my monthly podcast, I was quarantining from a possible COVID exposure, and if I ended up having it, I didn't want to pass it to my audio engineer, Landon. Also, since I'm usually the one in my family who does everything to get ready for the holidays, I decided to take some things off my plate one of which was the December podcast. I find the holiday season mostly overwhelming and exhausting and a lot of work when you compare it to maybe an hour or two of fun, when you see people opening their gifts and praying that they will like what you got them, or sitting down to a large meal with family and friends, of which the cleanup is never fun. Because of COVID being rampant and my quarantining in December, I did not have lunch with girlfriends to exchange Christmas gifts. And truth be told, I was super okay with that, and I'd bet they were too. In all, because I took a few things off my plate, I felt better and happier for it, and I learned that it was okay because for all of us, Christmas 2020 wasn't going to be like any Christmas we've ever had anyway. I've always said to my family and my girlfriends, Without women, there would be no civilization, and especially there would be no holidays, because most men could care less about celebrating a holiday and doing any of the work involved in the celebration. I'm sure a big percentage of my female listeners would agree with me. Then after the holidays, January came and another possible COVID exposure, another quarantine, and then Landon was moving and reconfiguring his recording studio. So here we are at the beginning of February 2021, all settled into a new year, a new studio arrangement, not having gotten COVID after all, and we have a lot of interesting events and things to talk about that have happened since my last podcast in November. At the time I recorded that podcast, it was right before the election. None of us knew who would be president and by how many electoral votes and how many popular votes. We did not know how many Senate seats would remain Republican, how many would turn over to the Democrats, how many House seats would be won and lost by either party in the House of Representatives. Would any states flip to red from being blue and vice versa? If Trump lost, how would he handle it? Because we all know how he'd act if he won. Would our democracy survive four more years of Trump and Trumpism if he did win? I know a lot of us news junkies and political junkies stayed up into the early morning hours on election night, holding our breath and maybe watching Steve Kornacki on MSNBC update us every few minutes on the red and blue details of the US political map. Then election night turned into election week, or almost a week, and Steve Kornacki was still wearing the same Gap brand brown-colored pants, the same white shirt, And the same tie when days later, on Saturday after election night, his news channel and all the other reporting bureaus and TV stations declared Joe Biden the winner. And then we learned Steve Kornacki had multiple pants of the same brand and color, multiple white shirts and ties of the same color, and daily during a short break where colleagues would joke they were recharging him for the next segment, he would clean up and change and maybe get a few Zs. And then he'd show back up in no time at all. Maybe you already know this, but after all was said and done, Gap gave Steve Kornacki a lifetime supply of the Gap pants he loves. And he told them, thank you very much, but would you mind making that a donation to the Boys and Girls Clubs so that high school students have proper attire to wear to job interviews and to work thereafter? How great is that? And because he did so well with prognosticating votes in each state, even county by county in each state. He was offered a sports prognostication job with the NFL. I have to admit, even though I'm a big Steve Cornacki fan, I haven't been following his NFL gig, but I probably should because I'm in a fantasy football league with family and friends, and it might help me get out of the bottom dregs of the league. Also, just a bit of trivia. Did you know that the MS of MSNBC stands for Microsoft?, as in the computer company started by Bill Gates? Knowledge is power, as the saying goes. On election night, as I was watching Steve Kornacki do his thing and biting my nails to the nub, it was the voters in late congressman and civil rights icon John Lewis's district in Georgia that put Biden over the top in that state, surpassing Trump votes for the first time that night. Eventually, after three recounts, three certifications of the votes, and a number of Trump lawsuits that went nowhere, Biden officially flipped Georgia from red to blue for the first time since 1992. As USA Today said on November 6th, John Lewis is smiling. I will say this now, and you'll hear me say it again, karma bites. In Western countries, we use this term loosely because, at its essence, Karma is a spiritual principle of cause and effect, mostly used in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism, but effectively you hear it said often in the U.S. as, what goes around comes around. A good action or intent creates good karma, and a bad action or intent creates bad karma. And if you're a devotee of one of the aforementioned faiths, that karma can follow you for many lifetimes. John Ossoff, who won one of the two Senate seats up for grabs in Georgia, briefly worked for Congressman Lewis, and as a result, they became lifelong friends. There is a new Voting Rights Act passed by the House that's been sitting on former House Majority Leader of the Senate, Mitch McConnell's desk, for a very long time. It was recently renamed for Congressman John Lewis, who passed away last year. In addition, Reverend Raphael Warnock, the head pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, where Martin Luther King Jr. was the head pastor when he was alive, won the other Senate seat in Georgia. Between Warnock and Ossoff's wins and the Dems' Vice President Kamala Harris's tie-busting vote, Mitch McConnell's control of the Senate has been taken away. So now maybe the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act of 2020 can become law in 2021, with new Senate Majority Leader Schumer in charge. As Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And now you can quote Mama B saying, karma bites. Not only did Georgia flip from being red Republican to blue Democratic, but Arizona did too. Arizona is my former state, and a portion of my heart still lives there and always will. Since I'm an independent voter, I will say up front that I always felt John McCain was a stand up kind of guy, a patriot who spent almost seven years in a prisoner of war camp during the Vietnam War, losing the full use of his arms from the torture he endured. Even though his dad was an admiral and he could have gone home at any time, He refused an early release from the camp until those who had been captured before him were released. Recently, his no vote during Trump's presidency and McConnell's leadership in the Senate kept the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, from being overturned, which now allows President Biden to build it back, build it up better after years of gutting by the Trump administration. Trump did nothing but treat John McCain poorly, deride and belittle him every chance he got. Even after McCain had passed away from brain cancer, Trump continued to deride and belittle him. This is one of the many reasons why Cindy McCain, John McCain's widow, endorsed Joe Biden for president, even though she has been a lifelong Republican. She and her husband were friends with Biden during McCain's years in the Senate. They both knew Joe Biden well and liked what they knew about him. I would say the margin Biden beat Trump by in Arizona, flipping the state from red to blue, is probably the same margin of votes former McCain voters who couldn't stand how Trump had treated him. On election night, when Fox News called Arizona for Biden right before midnight, and a number of other news agencies followed suit. What did I say out loud and very clearly? Karma bites. After all the individual votes and electoral votes were counted, confirmed by each state, and after more than 65 lawsuits by Trump and his gang, many decided by his own appointed judges, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. became the 46th president of the United States with 306 electoral votes to Trump's 232. Also, Biden received more than 7 million more votes in the popular vote than Trump. Interestingly, in the 2016 election, Trump received the exact same number of electoral votes over his opponent, Hillary Clinton, 306, and he declared that he had won that election in a landslide. While Joe Biden did not say it, I will. Biden won in a landslide too. And again, karma bites. Trump has never received more popular votes over either opponent, Clinton or Biden. I really wish they would do away with the Electoral College and let our elections be decided by the popular vote, as is the case in other world democracies. But as I stated in an earlier podcast, over the years, the Electoral College has favored the Republican Party and the overall popular vote has not. So it would be against the Republicans' interest to do away with the Electoral College. All this leads me to the day Congress was to certify the electoral votes of the 2020 election that Joseph R. Biden Jr. won fair and square. Epiphany Day, Wednesday, January 6th of this year. For those of you who know your Bible, Epiphany Day happened 12 days after Jesus' birth when the Magi, the three wise men from the East, or as an astrologer friend of mine likes to say, the three astrologers from the East— guided by a brilliant star, which today we call the Star of Bethlehem, journeyed to the manger where baby Jesus lay, and brought him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then paid homage to him as the king of the Jews. All this was foretold by biblical prophecy before Jesus' birth, or as my astrologer friend would say, by the stars. But this last epiphany day, January 6, 2021, will go down in U.S. history as a day of insurrection, violence, and the first time our Capitol was breached since the War of 1812, when the British burned a portion of it. January 6th was also the first time in our history that a Confederate flag flew in the Capitol building when an insurrectionist carried one in on a pole. Not even during the Civil War did a Confederate flag come near the Capitol building. The word epiphany has another meaning in our vernacular, and that is a moment of sudden revelation or insight. On January 6th, America had its epiphany, its moment of sudden revelation or insight, that our country is more divided, antagonistic, and our democracy is more frail than we ever thought possible during modern times. This modern Epiphany Day division was fomented by the incessant rants of the big lie on the part of Trump and a number of Republicans that Democrats stole the election, even though the election results had been confirmed and certified by each individual state and every possible legal avenue was exhausted by the Trump administration to overturn the free and fair certified election results. There's a saying that if you say something often enough and loud enough, even if it's a lie, people will start believing it. Disinformation campaigns like the one led by Trump and his gang target enemies in the short term and undermine the stability of our political system in the long run. The goal was to create lasting mistrust regarding our own elections. The Stop the Steal campaign, or the big lie, told loudly over and over again was proportionally a lot about race and minority and black voters. It was about disenfranchising their vote because Trump and the Republicans overwhelmingly contested votes in those counties in the states that flipped from Trump to Biden that were primarily urban with a high number of minorities. For instance, Milwaukee County, Wisconsin, containing the city of Milwaukee, and Wayne County, Michigan, containing the city of Detroit. Maricopa County, Arizona in the Phoenix area, and Philadelphia County in Pennsylvania. For the sake of being even-handed, I want my listeners to know that there have been four U.S. elections prior to this one where the electoral votes were contested in 1876, 1888, 1960, and most recently in 2000. Google four times the result of a presidential election were contested and click on smithsonianmag.com for the details of each contested election. The 1876 election was about the newly enfranchised African-American vote and Southerners. The 1888 and 1960 contested elections were about voter fraud, real and perceived, And the 2000 election was about voting machines not working properly in some states and hanging chads in Florida. Some of you, like me, may even remember that election because it's more recent, and it was decided by the Supreme Court along party lines, making George W. Bush president. In a previous podcast, I had mentioned that this 2020 election might end up in the majority conservative Supreme Court and yet again, be decided in favor of the Republican candidate. I am very thankful I was wrong about that, but Landon did tell me a lot of what I predicted in previous podcasts did happen. When contesting an election, when it comes time for the electoral votes to be certified by Congress, and electoral votes are to be contested, as is required by the Constitution, one senator and one congressman or congresswoman publicly asserts during the certification process that the vote of a certain state is contested. In 2000, it was the votes in Ohio. Then the whole of Congress takes two hours to debate this assertion before proceedings continue. In the 2004 election, it was contended by Democrats that voting machines manufactured by Diebold, or Diebold, I'm not sure how you say that, but it's the same company that also makes money withdrawal machines, which you may use at your bank. So take a look-see the next time you withdraw cash at an ATM. That Diebold voting machines were registering votes for the Democratic presidential candidate John Kerry as votes for George W. Bush instead. This conjecture was based on voters saying they voted for Kerry but saw the machine register Bush. Also, that the CEO of Diebold Voting Machines was a big Republican fundraiser for the Bush campaign, and it would be in his interest and the Republicans' interest for George W. Bush to win. The day after the election, Kerry conceded to Bush, so it was a moot point to pursue a contested election in the Electoral College that election cycle. But to bring karma back into this, during the latest election, Trump and his gang said Dominion voting machines were doing fraudulent things with Republican votes, that people had voted for Trump, but when their vote was tabulated, it was for Biden. Sound familiar? The same issue with voting machines, a different party making the allegations. Karma bites. And didn't Trump once, or maybe a few times, tell all his followers to vote twice, even though it's illegal? Oh, wait a minute. He was just kidding. It will be interesting to see what happens with the billion-dollar-plus Dominion Voting Systems Company's lawsuit against Trump's attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell for defamation of their voting machines. I'm sure Giuliani and Powell won't want Chris Krebs on the stand to testify against their allegations of voting machine fraud. Krebs was the former director of cybersecurity and elections appointed by Trump and then fired by Trump when Krebs said this was the most secure election in U.S. history. Too bad around 72% of Republicans don't believe him and think Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. Until January 6th of this year, the contested electoral votes have never ended in an insurrection and violence. To paraphrase Frederick Douglass in a shout-out to Black History Month, the rights of Americans are represented in three boxes— The ballot box, which is your vote, the jury box, which brings law into a matter, and the cartridge box, which is the right to defend oneself. Nowhere is insurrection mentioned by him if you disagree with the results of a free and fair election. But then again, you first have to believe it was a free and fair election and that there was no significant voter fraud of any kind that would amount to overturning the election results. You have to not. Believe the big lie perpetuated by Trump and his gang. The day before the insurrection on January 5th, I texted a college friend of ours from Arizona who was visiting his mother in Philadelphia. He is a big time Trump fan and had gone to Trump's inauguration in 2017. I asked him if he was heading to D.C. the next day for the rally. He texted back and said he would be there, and in quotes, it's going to be historic. I'm only interested in supporting and showing my support for our constitutional republic and President Trump, End quote. As I watched the day unfold from the start of Congress's pomp and ceremony, leading to the constitutional duty of Congress to certify the electoral votes for each state, some Republican senators and congressmen and congresswomen contested certification of the votes starting with Arizona. And then I watched the Capitol building being stormed and I kept looking for our friend, but I didn't see him in the crowd. That five people were killed and as I get the script ready for recording, yet another Capitol Hill police officer has committed suicide over what happened, making it six insurrection-related deaths, is beyond incredulous to me. One insurrectionist was trampled by the MAGA crowd she was part of. They just kept walking all over her, but oh, wait, one of the insurrectionists stopped and told others she was still alive as they continued to walk on top of her. She died of her injuries. In another incident, a police officer was beaten with a flagpole that had the American flag flying on it. Really? Really? And I would bet that same person beating the police officer with an American flag in the past had complained loudly to all his friends and family that former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick was incredibly disrespectful and unpatriotic to the Stars and Stripes and our veterans when taking a knee during the National Anthem before the start of an NFL game. Taking a knee, as is Colin Kaepernick's First Amendment right to do, in peaceful protest to something he believes is unjust and unwarranted in a democracy. I still contend that Kaepernick should have gotten down on both knees and folded his hands in prayer as the Star-Spangled Banner was playing. Because how can you criticize someone who is praying? It's just a thought. I want to know, are you a patriot when you beat a police officer with an American flag? I also heard the insurrectionists defecated and peed all over the Capitol building. How thoughtless of Trump and his gang to forget to set up porta-potties before the insurrection. Before the start of the march to Capitol, his followers could have relieved themselves in those porta-potties, so they were not have had to defecate and pee around and in the Capitol building. As Trump and his cohorts urged them on to the Capitol building to do something about stopping the steal and don't you dare be weak, their bladders and balls didn't comply. He even told the rally crowd that he would march with them to the Capitol, only he lied yet again and headed back to the White House to watch everything unfold on TV. Trump could endlessly criticize Senator John McCain, a true patriot, a veteran, who sacrificed almost seven years of his life in a POW camp with decades of service to his state and country, but Trump hightailed it back to the White House to watch TV, leaving his minions to do his dirty work. Wait, wait, maybe he had to use the restroom because there were no porta-potties at the Stop the Steal rally. Trump always running his mouth, causing chaos and upset, but too weak to keep his word that he would lead his people to the promised land of forever power, white power that is, because Trump's rally crowd and future insurrectionists, as always, were overwhelmingly white. You could tell from all the Jesus flags and huge wooden crosses set up around the Capitol building and from the crosses hanging around their necks that they were overwhelmingly Christian. If you've heard other podcasts of mine, you know I've spoken about white Christian nationalism and Trump's stranglehold on the Christian right, in particular evangelicals. I'm sure those insurrectionists felt they were channeling the Christian crusaders of old in their march to the Capitol and were going to overthrow a free and fair election to keep their country's savior as represented by Donald J. Trump, the president of the United States. After all, he's going to make this country a holy white Christian nation under God. Amen. In the month of January, we had Insurrection Week, Impeachment Week, and Inauguration Week. Oof, I'm starting this year out exhausted. What about you? Are things back to normal now that Biden is president? Not by any means, because what is normal anymore? We've had such an onslaught of misinformation, lies, meanness, incivility during the last four years. The Kraken, who was somewhat contained for many years, finally grew to outsized proportion and was let loose by Trump to feast on our democracy, our democratic norms. Normal in Tennessee means our state was the only one to have both of our U.S. Senators, Marsha Blackburn and newly elected Bill Haggerty, originally support overturning the Electoral College election results in favor of Trump, but then changed their minds after the Capitol was stormed. Tennessee has nine U.S. House of Representatives. Seven of the nine voted in favor of objections to either all the disputed states' votes or some particular states, so essentially voted against certifying the Electoral College results as well. Again, if you didn't already know, Tennessee is a deep red state and the buckle of the Bible belt, and the way we were represented in Congress on January 6th should have been no epiphany to anyone living here. For us blue-tinged independents and outright Democrats who live here, just think of this, 7 out of 10 Tennesseans voted for Trump. Now the question is, how can we all get along because many of these Trump supporters and free and fair 2020 election deniers our family members or friends or coworkers, Like my son said to me, Biden won by the most votes in history, but Trump still got more votes in 2020 than he did in 2016 after four years. So what does it say about this country? Let me again bring up my Arizona friend who was at Trump's rally in D.C. on January 6th. He went from being a college student for Clinton in 1992 That's Bill Clinton, not Hillary, to being a rabid supporter of Trump in 2016 and 2020. What caused the shift in his support from one party to another, from another impeached president to a two-time impeached president? I saw him changing after Obama became president and the Affordable Care Act went into effect. We had a long conversation about health care the last year Obama was president. As a very healthy, self-employed individual, he said his freedom to choose to have health insurance or not to have it was taken away from him. The government was forcing him to spend money on something he felt was his right not to have. Since he was visiting us here in Tennessee and he had a motorcycle, I said, so what if you get into a motorcycle accident while you're here and you end up in the hospital? You put the financial burden to cover your expenses on the hospital and on the state, raising all our health premiums in the state in the long run, including mine, because you feel it's impinging on your freedom to have to buy health insurance? He didn't quite see it that way. I feel part of what radicalized him to the Trump-loving person he is today was the IRS impounding his bank account during the Obama years because he didn't have health insurance. Trump became his hero when he stopped and forgave the Obamacare-IRS penalty and made it go away. I also think that Trump becoming president after Obama is whitelash to the first black president, backlash by whites who feel threatened by the changing demography of our country and losing the power they've always felt was only their right to possess. It's notable that during Obama's presidency, far-right hate groups, mostly white nationalist and white nativist hate groups, and right-wing militia groups grew exponentially along with gun and ammunition purchases. At the January 6th insurrection, along with the American flag, the yellow don't tread on me flag, the Confederate flag, the Jesus flags, the crosses either worn or planted in the ground, and of course the one guillotine that I know of, were members of several far-right white supremacist and nativist groups and right-wing militias, including the Proud Boys that Trump gave a shout out to at his first presidential debate with Joe Biden, the Three Percenters, the Boogaloo Boys, and the Oath Keepers, who are made up of current and former military, police officers, and first responders. In the general population, only about 7% of Americans are military or former military, but at the January 6th insurrection, the number of military or former military participating is claimed to be as high as 20%. Again, the Kraken has been let loose, and now we have to figure out how to contain it and keep its damage at bay for the sake of our pluralistic democracy. After Insurrection Week and Impeachment Week, we had Inauguration Week, An inauguration celebration different from any we've seen in our lifetimes. Smaller, socially distanced, entertaining, and inspiring at times. Well done, well choreographed, and hugely historic. We witnessed the swearing in of our first female vice president ever, Kamala Harris. Something I didn't know I'd ever live long enough to see. She is not the first minority to hold the office of vice president. That honor goes to Republican Charles Curtis, who was vice president in Herbert Hoover's administration. He was a Native American from the Kaw tribe in Kansas. He was also a former Senate majority leader like Mitch McConnell is now. Kamala Harris is the first African American and South Asian American to be vice president, besides being the first female vice president. I hope I live long enough to see the first female president. I'm keeping my fingers crossed. There were some complaints about Biden being sworn in before high noon on inauguration day as the Constitution stipulates, but that just gave a lot of us an earlier chance to take a long, deep breath as the swearing-in started with an accompanying long, deep exhale when it was all over, that maybe normal would return again, and decency, dignity, and grace, too. I didn't mind that Trump chose not to be there in the stands to witness Biden swearing in. His decision wasn't precedent setting at all, since East Tennessee's own President Andrew Johnson chose not to attend Ulysses S. Grant's inauguration in 1869. I want to give a shout out to Amanda Gorman, the first young person to be named National Poet Laureate. At the inauguration, she recited her poem, the hill we climb, and it gave me goosebumps and brought tears to my eyes. It was profoundly appropriate and hopeful for the time we live in and all we've experienced prior to Inauguration Day and want to experience as our country moves forward. Her poem is definitely worth a Google. As I finish the last bit of this podcast, getting ready to record in a few hours, it has come over my newsfeed that all of the attorneys on former President Trump's impeachment trial legal team have quit and will not be representing him at his impeachment trial coming up. They want Trump's defense to be, it's unconstitutional to impeach a president who is out of office. Although historically, there has been an impeachment of a federal government official after he left office. You can Google William Belknap, that's spelled B as in boy, E L K N A P, to find out the details. Instead, Trump didn't want to listen to his legal team, and he wants them to defend his big lie that the election was fraudulent and stolen from him and his followers. The insurrectionists know it, and they were just defending democracy. The delusion continues, and this impeachment is the right thing to do to take a stand for democracy, to put other would be future autocrats on notice that this can't happen ever again. I'm going to predict Trump will be acquitted because there would need to be 67 votes in the Senate to convict him so that he can never run for political office again. We would need 17 Republicans as part of those overall 67 votes needed to convict, but there is nowhere near that many Republicans willing to vote for conviction at this point in time. If videotape of Trump at the rally inciting the crowd is not enough for a Republican to convict him, if videotape of the insurrectionists yelling that they are doing this for Trump while storming the Capitol does not stir enough Republicans to convict him, I honestly don't know what will. In my opinion, Trump's acquittal will be an incredibly sad day for our democracy and for America's standing in the world of nations. As I end this podcast, I want to say, now it's time to move forward, to try to unify as a country, as President Biden said, for the Democrats to work hard at keeping both houses of Congress in the future, to be bold, for the Democrats to get as much done as they can in the two years before the midterm elections, because you never know, the Republicans could take over both houses of Congress in the midterms and make President Biden a lame duck president not able to get anything done in his last two years. Even though hindsight is 2020 and Trump's presidency is in the rearview mirror, the Kraken of Trumpism will keep rearing its ugly head and causing problems. There's no getting around that. Karma will be biting in one way or another because, as we all know, What goes around comes around. As the good book says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's a universal principle acknowledged in every great faith on this planet, and it works for the greater good, treating people like you would like to be treated. Show good intent, be kind, show grace, because on any given day, you do not know what battles another person is fighting and your kindness and grace can make all the difference in their life. Please stay safe and be healthy.